Oh, praise the Lord. We are into our 29th lesson on Mark. I don't, 29 lessons, that's like 29 weeks. Like 29 weeks. Well, last week we talked about Jesus admonishing the disciples on the place of children in the kingdom of God. I think we can emphasize that this morning. And how we adults need to have some of the simple trust and faith that a child has to really experience the grace and love of God. We had the grandkids yesterday, and I don't know how many times Larky would say, Happy, I love you. Happy, I love you. And I love that, you know. Now, when they're 15, Hudson and Nora, eh, I don't hear that much. God wants a kind of faith like that. Now we come to a section I like to focus on because it deals with situations, especially that we find in America, I think, and the, the population that we kind of fall into here. And there's two, two situations that are addressed in this next section. The first one is that having possessions and being wealthy is a sign of God's blessing. And the second situation that's addressed is that we can have a relationship with God by doing good things. In other words, we get to heaven because of the good things we do or the bad things that we don't do. And we're going to kind of blow those two up this morning. Mark 10, verse starting in verse 17. Start reading, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he said, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God, all things are possible. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to write, rightly divide your word of truth and allow it to minister to our hearts and allow your truth to sink in and let it matter to the kingdom of God and to us that what we hear this morning will change us and our attitudes about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, now I've, I know you've probably heard it, and I know I've preached it, but you've heard the sentence that you can't be too bad for God to forgive you. How many have heard that? You can't be, you can't be a bad enough sinner that God can't forgive you. And that's true. But how often do we hear the opposite of that? That you can't make it because you're too good. In other words, I'm too good, God can't refuse to accept me. Look, I never killed anybody, I never robbed anybody, never raped anybody, so I guess I'm good enough to get into heaven. I've been pretty good. The common misconception today is, it's just like it was in the Bible times, that it's our behavior that gets us in, or our behavior that keeps us out. 
What did Jesus say about that? Let's go back to the beginning. Verse 17 says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus is walking along. This guy runs up to him. He's expecting him to come. He runs up to him. Now, it doesn't mention the tone at which he addressed Jesus, but his posture, he was on his knees. He addressed him as good teacher. We, were, we assumed that this guy had good intentions. He really wanted to know the truth. He, he was sincere in his approach. And some commentators say he was kind of flattering Jesus, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if we can really infer that. So we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he was really serious and, and sincere in his approach. But his question kind of tells us what he's thinking, that, that he has to be good to get to heaven. Verse 17 says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, before Jesus answered that, let's look at who this guy was. Mark tells us that he was a wealthy guy. Verse 22 says that this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. It also tells us that he tried to live by the Jewish law. He says, I, I did all these things. I kept all these things. Luke, Luke's account calls him a ruler. Luke 18, 18 says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this position of ruler was probably in a, an official position like a court or a ruling office somewhere. He arose to this position, and he also tells us that he was young in this position. Matthew's account says, all these I have kept, the young man said. So here we have a young guy who's got, already got a lot of wealth, already got a good position of power, it seems like. He's a ruler, and he assumes that now I got to do other things to get into heaven, which addresses the first thing, the first situation, that having possessions and being wealthy is a sign of God's blessing. Because he was successful, he thought that success was an indication of God's blessing. Now, it appears he had risen through the ranks of the political system at a young age, had a great deal of money, and we assume he had a great deal of power and authority. And the question seems to indicate that since he worked his way up in the ranks, he's got to do more work to enter the kingdom of God. He's got to work his way up that, that way as well. In other words, I'm a ruler, I own, I'm rich, I own a lot of things, I have a lot of authority over people, now I'm working on getting to heaven. Resume is complete. I've accomplished all I need to do to get to heaven because I've done all these things and I've worked for heaven. I've earned it by what I've done. So what do I, do? What do I need to do, Jesus? I need to fill up my resume to the very end. I know there's things I've got to do to enter. All I need for Jesus to do is to tell me what I need to do. And once I get that checklist done, I'm set because I'll knock those things off real quick and I'll, I'll enter the kingdom of God. That will complete my achievements, and will, which will further indicate that God has blessed me. If I do all these things, I'll line them up, I get my checklist done, I know because of this I'm, I'm ready for heaven. But Jesus never makes anything simple. He says in verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God. Jesus kind of cuts him off, doesn't even answer the question. He, ans he answers his question with a question. He approached Jesus with what he assumed was good manners. I mean, he came up, he was sincere. He, he was probably a good guy if he's in a political position. He probably was nice on the outside. He had good manners with everybody. He was educated. He was probably a really nice guy. 
But it also appears that he may have known the commandments, but he didn't know the etiquette of the day. What do I mean by that? Well, in Bible times, Jewish rabbis did not allow the word good to be applied to them. If, if people would say that, they'd rebuke him for that. So this guy either didn't know it or did it and know it and did it anyways. So he used the word good to describe Jesus the rabbi, and he shouldn't have done that. And Jesus calls him out on that because good was applied to God alone. And Jesus is reminding this guy of the fact that rabbis don't accept the word good before their title. And Jesus also wants this guy to understand what he's actually saying. In other words, you're calling me good. Do you know what that means? If you're calling me good, then you must be calling me God. Because according to rabbi tradition, good applied to God. So if this guy is calling Jesus good, he's got to be addressing Jesus as God. And if you mean that, and if you know that I'm God and you're addressing me as God, do you know what the implications are for you because of that? Then he goes on in verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. So he lays out some of the Ten Commandments to this guy. And these are things that all of us or most of us would say that we're okay with, right? Anybody here? Don't raise your hand. Anybody murder anybody? Anybody here commit adultery? Anybody here steal? Keep your hands down. Do not give false testimony. Anybody here lie? Keep them down. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Anybody, everybody, we're good with those, right? So we should make it. Now, Mark uses the word fraud. Fraud is a manifestation of what coveting is. If you defraud someone, that means you've coveted what he possessed to the point where you're trying to steal it or cheat it from him. If you defraud someone, you, you want what they have and you're doing something illegal or immoral to get it. So defrauding is basically a form of coveting. And what is the 10th commandment? Thou shalt not covet. And I think that's where everybody gets tripped up on the last one. Thou shalt not covet means I won't even think about doing the other nine. How many have ever thought about doing the other nine? All of us. Jesus is going to test him to see if he actually kept this particular commandment, the, the, the defrauding one. Because it, he says, teacher, I've kept all this since I was a boy. Again, he's probably a good guy. He's probably done all these things. He's probably sincere. And he thought like we do today, if I show myself to be a good guy on the outside and do the right things, that's what God wants. And that's what God is going to see about me. And when Jesus points into the law of Moses, he wanted him to see the purpose of the law. The purpose wasn't for us to try to keep every single commandment. The law was to show us that we can't. Galatians 2.16. And yet we Jewish Christians know that we become right with God, not by doing what the law commands, but by faith in Christ. So we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be accepted by God because of our faith in Christ, and not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be saved by obeying the law. We can't keep the law. We can't. Galatians 2.21. For if we could be saved by keeping the law, 
there was no need for Christ to die. And that's, you think about that logic. If you could be good enough to make it to heaven on your own, why would Jesus need to die? If we could chalk up 51% of our life being good versus 49% being bad, we're in. Why would Christ have to die? Mark goes on and says in verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus recognized this guy was sincere and he really, he wanted this guy to follow him. He loved this guy. He wanted him to do the right thing. But he knew that he had, well, at least one flaw. The flaw was the money. What did he lack? He recognized, Jesus recognized, for this guy, money was his God. And that leads us to the second issue. That we believe we can have a relationship with God by doing good things. In other words, we get to heaven because of the good things we have done and the bad things we have not done. Now this guy, he lived the outward life as a good moral person. What was wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. However, his heart was far from what the externals showed. In other words, what he portrayed in public was different from how he lived by himself. Now, I've said this before, and you're probably sick of hearing it, but when I attended church before I got saved, I was a nice guy. Everybody in the church thought I was a Christian. I was there three times a week, three years in a row. Everybody thought I was a Christian because I was a nice guy. But what they didn't see was my heart. How I complained about everything to Anna on the way home and would kind of rib her during the service going, I hate this, complaining all the time. My heart was different than my externals. My outward appearance was a good moral guy, but my heart was a million miles from God. And how does God say he judges people? I think you can quote the verse for me. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. This guy and a lot of folks today think, if I just live a good life on the outside, I'm going to make it. And we all know really nice people, really good moral people, and maybe even people that are nicer than some Christians you know. But they don't have a relationship with God. They don't have a heart for God. And the reason they don't is because their pride lets them think that they don't need one. I'm a good guy. Jesus was putting his finger on the one thing that was sensitive for this young ruler, what he owned. In other words, is following me and getting eternal life more important to you than what you own? What in your life is more important than Jesus? What are you not willing to change if Jesus asks you to change them? Again, you know my story. I used to have a bunch of albums, records. For young people, it's 33 and a third, about this big. And they played on a needle. They were albums. And I had thousands of them. And nobody touched them but me. 
Nobody. My family, nobody. And that was one of the reasons I didn't want to get saved because everyone I heard says, oh, I got rid of my records when I got saved. I burned my albums. I said, well, forget that. I'm not doing that. After I got saved, I'm praying one night, reading Genesis 22, Abraham, Isaac. God says, throw them out. I went, oh, come on. Throw them out. And it was garbage night. So happens it was garbage night. And I threw them out. And it's not, that wasn't for everybody, that was for me. What was more important to me than God? Money was this guy's Achilles heel. That was the one thing Jesus says, are you willing to give that up for me? And it's not that God's asking everybody to do that. How many know it's not, this is descriptive, not prescriptive, right? This is this one guy, this one time. He's not telling everybody to sell all you have and give to the poor. This is just one thing that he's trying to tell him what's more important. There's going to come a time for every believer that God will ask them to give up what they feel might be important. Are you willing to give it up? If God asks you to give it up, would you give it up? Verse 24 says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whenever God takes something or asks you to give it up, it's always in exchange for something better. How many know that? I think of this one image that I came across years ago. Look at that image. How many identify with that? God, I love this little thing that you've given me. Jesus says, trust me, you give it to me, and I've got something better for you. Are you willing to give it up? Because everything God asks you to give up, he's always got something better for you in store. But how many of us are not willing to do that? Just that one thing, that, Lord, don't ask me to give that one thing up. Verse 22 says, At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He thought Jesus would tell him that he had something that he had to do. In other words, what outward action do you make me do to eternal life? Not what are you asking me to give up? Man always wants to think that he has to earn by doing. Everything he has, he has to earn it. He has to work for it. Outward actions don't require you to have a change of heart. You can do something and not want to do it. We all go to work sometimes, and we don't want to do it, but we go to work, right? Now, I like going to work, but a lot of people don't. So as a Christian, I can go to church, but hate every minute of it. God wants your hearts, not your possessions. If your possessions seem to crowd out God, then get ready to be challenged. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Now the disciples were probably confused about that because it wasn't only this rich young ruler that had that opinion. Most Jewish believers also thought money equaled blessing. If you had things, that means God's happy with you and those are blessings. If you don't, then God must be mad at you. That was their thinking. And so when they see this and Jesus says that, you're like, wait, wait a minute, I don't, I don't quite get that. 
And I'm sure they, this guy, they thought this guy was already favored by God. He had all these things. He was a ruler. So when he walked away and Jesus says this, they're like really confused. Verse 24 says, the disciples were amazed at his words. Now they still didn't get, get to it, so Jesus elaborates on that statement. Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When you have money and possessions and power, do you really think you need God? If everything's going right in your life, good job, healthy, great kids, if everything's going well, do you think you need God? Most of the world thinks they don't need God because I, hey, I've got everything. What else do I need to have? The only difference is now I've got to go to church and I don't, I don't want to do that. I've got everything I want. And a lot of times, being, having everything keeps us from realizing that we still need God. It's hard for someone in that position to realize that there's more to life than wealth. Because everything you have now will one day be in the junkyard. Now Jesus didn't say it was impossible. He said it was hard. And then Jesus gives it a, like a, a descriptive thing. A camel going through the eye of a needle. Now how many have heard that expression before? Now, this is to be taken literally. There used to be, and I used to subscribe to this, that there was a theory, although it's not backed up in the Bible anywhere, that there was this little small gate in the wall of the city, and for a camel to go through that, they had to get on their knees and crawl through the gate. How many have heard that story? Okay, not true. No such gate ever has existed in the Bible. It doesn't say that anywhere. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you an example that is impossible. Then the disciples asked him the question. If that, you know, they were even more amazed. And they said to each other, then who can be saved if, if, obviously can't put a camel through the eye of a needle. If that's impossible, how does anybody get saved? Now, if there were such a gate as that eye of the needle, I think they would have understood that and said, oh, I get it. But they understood it was a literal meaning which meant to them, no camel can go through an eye of a needle. How can anybody get saved then? In verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Salvation is totally from God. Amen, amen. Man can do nothing to earn it. You can never be good enough to earn it. God has to do the work. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up in the last day. In other words, our intellect and our knowledge and our persuasive talk can save nobody. Paul says, I come to you. Oh, let me read it. 1 Corinthians 1, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world should never find him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save all who believe. Not by anything a persuasive guy can say. Paul says, I come to you in you know, weakness and fear and much trembling. I can't, I'm not a great orator. But it's not how I speak that saves you. It's what the Holy Spirit does with the words that are said. God has to be drawing that person by his Holy Spirit. 
And I've said it at every altar call. If you're thinking about God, it's because God is making you think about him. God's putting that thought in your head. That's what it means. We pray for people, but God has to do the drawing. We pray that the people will open their hearts when God begins to draw them. When they begin to have that nagging feeling that it may be true, this thing might be true, they have to actually say yes to that. And we pray that they're open to the draw of God. I wrote here, nothing that we have in this life is worth not accepting what God has for us both in this life and the next. There's a familiar quote, and I'll close with this quote. I'm sure you've heard it. It's attributed to Jim Elliott. He was martyred by the very people he went to help. He wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now that quote was actually by a guy named Philip Henry. How many know Matthew Henry commentary? Matthew Henry commentary. This is his dad. This is his quote. He is no fool who parts with that which he cannot keep when he is sure to be recompensed with that which he cannot lose. Everything we possess now will be gone. Nothing lasts forever. Jesus is saying, don't hold tightly to things that eventually go away. And forget about the things that actually last forever. What lasts forever? No material thing lasts forever. People. Right. Now, obviously, our lives don't last forever. But our spirit and our soul last forever. We're eternal. How many know everybody has eternal life? It's just where we choose to spend it. That's what we ought to be thinking about. What's going to happen to me in the end? Now, the older you get, the more you start thinking about that, right? Folks, gray hairs, you got that? But that's something we should think about now, regardless of your age. The Bible says there is no guarantee of tomorrow. And as Dick said in his testimony, don't you wish you were saved younger to avoid all the crap you go through before you're saved? I got saved when I was 30. I wish I'd got saved a lot earlier than that. Because now you're dragging 30 years of stuff behind you. 2 Peter 3.9. I promise this is the last one. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But he wants everyone. Everyone. Come to Repentance. Not some, not the elect, everyone. We fall in that category of everyone. Our family and friends and those we live by, they all fall in the category of everyone. God wants everyone to come to repentance. We talked about the rapture not happening. That's what that verse is saying. The rapture is not going to happen because God's taking his time waiting for you to come to Christ. Because after the rapture happens, then it gets really dicey. And we want people to not go through that hardship. We want people to escape that. Would you stand as we close this morning?
you bow your heads for a moment? You know, it's funny, whenever Jesus preached, whenever Paul preached, he never said that. He never said, bow your heads, close your eyes. I think it's something strictly American. But maybe you're here this morning and you fall into that category like I did. Or like most people do. They think they're, they're good enough. They live a good moral life, and, and I'm sure they do. But if a good moral life is the ticket in, why would Jesus have to die? The Bible says no sin can live in the presence of God. The example I use is a weird one, but I'm going to use it anyways. A moldy piece of bread. You stick something in the cupboard, in a damp cupboard, and it becomes all moldy and nasty looking. But you put that piece of bread out in direct sunlight and in the heat of the day, what happens to the mold? It dries up and just blows away. That's how sin is in God's presence. It can't stand. It's not because the sun hates the mold. It's just that's how it is. That's the attributes of the sun and the attributes of the mold. It's not that God hates people. He just hates sin because he knows what sin does to people. And when we stand before God, the presence of sin just can't exist in his presence. It'll just be wiped out. And since we're all sinners and we would all be wiped out if it were not for salvation, that's why Jesus came. He came to take that punishment. He came that the stuff that we should have endured because we were sinful people, Jesus says, here, hold, hold my milk. I'll be right back. I'm going to take that for you. I'm going to suffer for you. And when I'm done, all you have to do is trust me that what I did was for you. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You can't do anything for God to love you anymore. And you can't do anything for God to love you any less. And all he wants is for you to say yes. And if you're here this morning, you've never really said yes. Or maybe you said yes years ago and you really haven't done anything with it, like Dick did. He said yes, but then he didn't do anything with it until God got a hold of him again. And if that's you, then that's, that's why you are here this morning. There are no accidents in God's economy. A coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. You're here because God destined you to be here. For his message to come across, not, not me, him. And if you feel God speaking to you this morning, it's not me, it's God speaking to you. And he wants you to make a choice. The Bible says he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. He's not going to kick it in. He's not going to make the choice for you. He wants you to willingly open the door yourself. So if that's you and you want to open that door, as we heard that it'll transform your life. Not only here, but now for eternity, it'll transform your life. It'll make you a new creature, as the Bible says. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. 
Father, I thank you for the salvation that comes through Jesus. I thank you how you've transformed our lives from what we were into what we are. You're, you're a great God. And, and you're better to us than we deserve you to be. We do ask, Lord, that you would continue to let, let our lives be a reflection of that gratitude. We can say we're, we're thankful, but do we live thankful? Help our lives to be something that other people see and they want to know what it is we have. And allow us to be able to share what you've done with us and how you can do it for somebody else. Father, we love you this morning and we're so grateful to have been in your presence this morning. We're so grateful that you called us out and you called us your friend. So Lord, I commit ourselves to you. Help us to be a friend to you in all that we do. And we will thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night, next Sunday. And then Veterans Day, don't forget, invite people to that day.